Hello and welcome to the Talking Food with Bid Food podcast. I'm Joe Anglis and for this episode we'll be talking about the supply issues that our industry is currently facing. To discuss this really challenging subject, I'm excited to say that I'll be joined by two fantastic guests. First of all, my big boss is here for the first time, the CEO of Bidcorp UK, Andrew Selly. And he's going to be providing a background on how this is impacting us and our customers. Then I'm really excited to welcome back to the podcast, James Bilby, who is the Chief Executive for the Federation of Wholesale Distributors, or as the FWD is they're also known. He's previously featured on our podcast on Brexit last year, and I'm sure he'll be mentioning that subject today amongst his opinions on the wider market impact from all the problems that we face. This should be a really great episode, and I can't wait to hear their opinions and all that is happening at the moment. So let's welcome them on and get it started. So I'll start things off with you, James. Welcome back to the Talking Food with Bid Food podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me back. No problem. So it was about this time last year that we had you on the podcast discussing Brexit. But for anyone who hasn't had the chance to listen to your episode, then can you uh, provide our audience with a little bit of a background of the fantastic work that you do at the FWD and your role there? Yeah, so we're the trade association for wholesale distributors supplying food and drink into retail, into catering, into public sector, representing their interests with government, but also bringing wholesalers and suppliers together to talk about issues beyond the competitive agenda and providing networking opportunities for them uh, to come together, meet each other and uh, talk about the issues of the day. We just had our annual conference a couple of weeks ago with Andrew Selly uh, on the couch uh, offering as the benefit of his keen brain and views, which was great and really well received. Um, And it's been a very busy year since we spoke last, and I'm sure we're going to unpack some of the things that we've been talking to government about. Absolutely. Thank you, James. And Andrew, thank you so much for joining our podcast for the first time. My pleasure. So before we start on the subject for this episode, can you just share with our audience what your role is for Bidcorp? Yeah, I'm the CEO of uh, Bidcorp UK, which means I look after all of the Bidcorp businesses in the UK. So that's Bid Food, uh, Bid Fresh, uh, which is our fresh wholesaling businesses, um, Bid Food Manufacturing, and our independent wholesale businesses under the Cater Food Buying Group banner. That's brilliant. So for the first part of the episode, we'll start off by discussing the impact of supply chain issues on our industry. So obviously we've heard on the news for some months now about the challenges faced at the moment right across the food supply chain. Andrew, would you please explain for our listeners from your perspective, firstly, the range of problems that face the wholesale industry currently, and then secondly, what you feel has been the main causes of these issues? Well, I think the range of problems covers virtually every part of the supply chain. And wherever you look, in my opinion, across the supply chain, People are under a lot of pressure, either due to lack of availability, um, extended lead times or increased costs. I think from our perspective, it falls largely between the, the two main areas of product availability and resource availability. Um, from a product availability perspective, a lot of our suppliers are struggling um, with their manufacturing capacity versus what it was prior to COVID. And 
the level of demand has increased quite considerably back up to pre-COVID levels, but I don't feel that the manufacturers are back at those levels yet due to a number of reasons around COVID practices and things like that, which are limiting their capacity. On top of that, they've got their own supply chain issues in terms of global supply chain costs and global supply chain availability of things like containers is, is limited. And in the UK, obviously, people delivering product into ourselves, their ability to do that is limited by the lack of drivers. So, you know, all along the supply chain, whether it's from international areas or from domestic areas, we're seeing availability levels much lower than they were pre-pandemic. Normally, we would expect sort of 98, 99% inbound availability from our suppliers. It's been as low as 78%. It's currently running around at 85%, but certainly that has a big impact clearly on our ability to provide food to our customers. Whilst we hold a a level of stock and a level of buffer stock, obviously that doesn't last forever with those sort of inbound supply levels. So I think product availability is is an issue. And secondly, um, resource availability, and that's people and um, capital equipment. So the less I think talked about one is the whole capital equipment bit, you know, the lead time for getting a new forklift truck or a new um, delivery vehicle has gone from six months to 18 months, which means we're running all of our equipment longer, which means it's breaking down more and the ability to repair it is diminished because you can't get the spare parts. Um, but the well-publicized bit, which I'll probably leave James to talk about, otherwise I'll be talking all the time is is basically resource availability, which, again, mostly publicised around drivers. Um, but similarly, I think a lot of the warehouse, night shift warehouse operatives is an area we're struggling for. On the fresh side of the business, you know, there's a lack in the industry of butchers, of fishmongers. And I think just wherever you look, there's, uh, there's a lack of skilled um, resource in the areas that we want to employ people. It's just massive, isn't it? James, is there anything you'd add to that as well? Well, yeah, I think Andrew's absolutely right to identify the labour market pressures that the food and drink industry is facing into. So there's currently 500,000 vacancies across the food and drink supply chain. That's 13% of the total workforce. On the driver's side, there's 100,000 vacancies, and that's leading to massive labour market inflation as wages go up. And businesses try and uh, chase scarce labour. The government have put in place a few solutions, which we'll probably come on to a bit later. But I think it goes hand in hand with all of the other challenges that we face. And what it really brings into stark relief is the interconnectivity of the supply chain. When one bit fails, there's a risk of total collapse. So if there's a shortage of growers, processors, manufacturers or wholesalers. That means that there are knock-on impacts on the ability of businesses like Bidfood and others to supply the customers with the products they needed. And at the time, at a time when energy bills are going up hugely um, and there's a shortage of raw materials, things like cardboard and aluminium, uh, oil prices obviously spiking, all of those sort of fixed operational costs are increasing at a time when, as Andrew says, there's a scarcity of product as well. So it's very much a perfect storm and that's going to lead to a number of negative outcomes uh, for customers be it availability of product or food price inflation so yeah it's a pretty grim picture to be honest 
Yeah, and like you said, it is a, it's a perfect storm. Absolutely, totally agree. And how, James, how far do you feel that these factors are outside the control of our industry and how far are wholesalers able to mitigate their impact? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, the uh, problems at ports that we didn't talk about, that's not something that's necessarily in the gift of wholesalers. There's an armada of ships coming out from coming over from the east uh, to Felixstowe. There's a shortage of HGV drivers, which means that they can't be unloaded. Um, and the government's solution has largely been to say that we need to pay people more and attract British people to do jobs in Britain, which is an entirely admirable sentiment. And, you know, it's not one that anyone would disagree with, but it's not really practical because wage inflation for businesses um, like Bidfood and others, really difficult to do when you need to maintain differentials. And if you're a much smaller wholesaler, it's virtually impossible uh, because of the need to pay people more when you're competing with businesses who have deeper pockets is, is, is really hard. And that's led to uh, all sorts of crazy uh, salaries being reported. You know, HGV drivers getting paid as much as £70,000, more than some depot managers. Um, and then you've got the skill shortage as well. There are a number of structural issues that needed to be addressed. Businesses can do that to an extent, but only to the extent that they can do it would be in the medium term and the long term. It doesn't help today, tomorrow, next week, or run up to Christmas. So there's things that wholesalers can do, but all of them involve paying more money if it's in whether it's in wages or for energy bills or for products. And that's not possible to do whilst maintaining profitability. So we do need some government intervention and support. That's been relatively thin on the ground to date, but you know there have been things that have happened. We need to see whether they'll make a difference or not. Yeah, absolutely. And Andrew, what difference does this make to the day-to-day running of a wholesale operations and in particular on the productivity and service levels? I think it just makes the whole process incredibly challenging. I mean, food service logistics, food service supply chain is, is pretty challenging. It's, uh, it's, it's a very high response, high service, high demand industry. Um, but I, I, yeah, I've worked now at Bidfood for 23 years. I've, I've never known the challenges that we're, we're facing at the moment. I think, as James said, you know, some of the cost pressures are massive. Um, we're paying 100% more for our electricity than we were a year ago. We're paying 33% more for our diesel than we were a year ago, and we use 50,000 litres a day. So you know, these are not insignificant cost increases coming through, as well as the wage inflation that, uh, that James has talked about. I think the biggest thing for us is, is that is the pressure it puts on you know your existing teams so yeah we're busy trying to recruit you know new drivers new warehouse operatives wherever we need the resources but in the meantime yeah we're relying on our you know hard working existing teams to to deliver what the customers are demanding so you know as well as you know the churn of bringing in new people you're putting more pressure on your existing teams which is not an ideal situation and I think it just makes it it makes it very hard. I think across the supply chain, I think a lot of people are just feeling the, feeling the pressure. Absolutely. And some of those numbers are just absolutely crazy. But I guess what difference is this making to the customers that food service wholesalers serve, Andrew? I think, yeah, we're disappointingly, our customers are not getting the same level of service as they were used to a couple of years ago, to be to be blunt. 
um, you know, our our ability to 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 get things you know on time and in full is firstly obviously impacted by the product availability that I was talking about earlier. So, you know, the customer's first choice of products that they want to order may not be be available, and therefore we need to speak to the customer about um, substitute products. Um, different pack sizes, different brands. Um, if there are long-term issues with products, we need to speak to the customers about changing their menus, um, changing their offering to their customers. And clearly, you know, the knock-on impacts of that within food service you know, revolves around things like allergens and things like that, and Natasha's law, which has come in, and clearly the need for us and our customers to be on top of all of that changing information if, if we're changing and substituting products. So that's adding another layer of complexity onto the operation. And secondly, I think just the day-to-day ability to execute all of the deliveries. Um, Firstly, if you're struggling for drivers, and secondly, if you are struggling with vehicles off the road because they need repair, um, because you can't get the spare parts, both of those clearly impact on your ability to, to execute the deliveries. And some of our deliveries are turning up later than we would want, but clearly that's a an ongoing challenge, communicating with the customers, making sure that we're getting uh, getting the communication out there with regards to what's happening to their delivery and when they can expect it. Um, you know, we've got 24 depots around the country, so we are able to you know, move some postcodes around between depots to try and ease the pressure and to try and uh, make sure that we're sharing the workload across across the whole system. But um, it's it's a challenge. Yeah, it really is. And it was really interesting to hear Bib Foods experience there. But James, how are these uh, issues affecting other wholesalers and in particular regional wholesalers to your knowledge? Yeah, I think it's going to be much worse for smaller regional operators. I mean, the likes of Bid Food will be better off. Um, you know, Andrew's been outlining some of the challenges that Bid Food are facing, but all of those issues will be uh, being faced by smaller wholesalers as well and they've got less ability to be able to absorb these challenges they don't have multiple depots so they're not a- able to offer the same economies of scale that bid food would do um, and it's very much a free-for-all out there when you're trying to attract labor uh, it, it really is the person who can pay the most and it's not just competition within wholesale as well it's outside the industry so amazon opening up a dc would mean that lots of people would go and work for them because they're offering attractive packages uh wages but also um money for joining them in the first instance and for lots of smaller operators there's so many issues going on that it's largely insurmountable they've got all sorts of problems with availability they've got all sorts of problems with labor their costs are going up some smaller wholesalers who are perhaps on fixed energy bills will have seen their contracts being renewed on October the 1st. They might have gone up by as much as 250%. Um, so it's really, really difficult for them to deal with the challenges that we face into um, and serve customers in the way that they would have expected to have been served you know, two years ago. So food price inflation is 1.4% higher in September than it was before the pandemic. Um, the costs for customers in the food service and hospitality sector are going up hugely. Um, I think it was described uh, last week by Ian Wright of the Food and Drink Federation as terrifying as uh, wages, food and energy costs go up, leading to massive food price inflation. 
Um, and for smaller wholesalers, that's really hard because they're operating at a one percent net margin. Um, they don't have the ability to uh, raise prices for any public sector contracts that they do. Don't even have the ability to talk to those public sector contracts about renegotiation within a fixed period. So really hard to absorb all of these challenges that are happening. So for bid food, um, it's possibly not as bad as others, but for uh, smaller operators, there are lots and lots of issues uh, which are increasingly difficult to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess on product availability, the difference between consumers and caterers is that as a consumer doing their weekly shop at a supermarket, you can obviously simply switch product, pack size or brand. Andrew, how different is this for a caterer or a hospitality business? Uh, by and large, we'd say it's the same the same uh, challenge. I think you know, a lot of the conversations we have with customers is around increasing flexibility. Clearly, some customers operate a fixed menu, which has its own challenges. But if the customer has the ability to be more flexible on the menu that they're offering to their customers, then you know, that can accommodate any lack of availability, either temporary or longer term of certain products. Um, I think, as I was saying earlier, in terms of switching of pack size or switching of brand, yeah, we're able to do that on an order-to-order basis with the customers, depending on what's available. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of our conversations have really you know, improved the level of flexibility and cooperation that exists between ourselves and our customers because we recognize we're all in it together. Yeah, we're all just trying to offer ultimately the best service to the end consumer and yeah, how can we do that most effectively? It's mostly around communication and the customer's ability to change to reflect what's, uh, what is or isn't available from the manufacturers. What other measures uh, do either of you think wholesalers are taking to reduce the impact on their customers? James, I'll start with you. I think, as Andrew said, the, the challenges are not just those faced by wholesale, it's also upstream as well. So any of the problems that we might have, uh, our suppliers will have, as well. And I think wholesalers are trying to manage the risks on their business by not necessarily taking on new customers or reducing the frequency of drop, um, not taking on MPD or promos, just trying to sort of dampen down volume, really. Um, and that's not great because, as Andrew says, you're there to serve customers and give them the products that they want when they want them in order to meet consumer demand. And so having to find workarounds for that is really hard. Um, but that's the reality of the situation that we're facing into, I'm afraid. You know, there is a shortage of labour and then a knock-on impact on availability of product and then the prices of those products. And we've got to work with customers to mitigate that, which isn't ideal, but that's the new reality of the situation in which we're operating in. And Andrew, have you got anything to add to that? Yes, I think from our perspective, we're, we're working both with manufacturers to uh, basically organise our own inbound availability, either through backhaul or through our own third-party suppliers, where, where the manufacturers are able to supply into us. And with customers, we're trying to say, what's the most efficient way of delivering the volume that we've got? So as James says, you know, we're looking at potentially reducing delivery frequency, increasing delivery size. So delivering the same amount of volume, but in a more efficient way so we can maximise the use of the limited resources that we have. That's great. 
Uh, thank you both. Uh, next up, we'll talk about driver problems and we'll find out what James and Andrew's predictions are for the future. Welcome back. It's been widely reported that in the UK as a whole, we're short of around 100,000 drivers. So why is it so difficult to recruit drivers at the moment? Andrew, I'll start with you. I think the issue is it, it's difficult to recruit drivers because we're all fishing in the same pond, effectively. You know, there is a limited amount of skilled and qualified drivers um, in the UK, and everybody's trying to recruit from that same limited um, resource. And I think the areas which I'm sure we're going to talk about later, you know, one of the things we need to do is increase the availability of skilled and qualified drivers, whether that be in the short term through um, short-term visas and, and working availability for overseas drivers, and in the long term through you know, increased testing and qualification of, of homegrown drivers. But ultimately, as James has said, you know, there's a shortage of 100,000 drivers in the UK. So in, until that short-term gap is bridged, you know, we're all going to be seeking that sort of scarce resource. Yeah, absolutely. James, is there anything you'd add to that? Yeah, I think Andrew's absolutely right. One of the uh, problems is that you're just effectively cannibalizing uh, the labor pool. You're not growing the pool of drivers at all. And one of the ways to do that is to increase pay. Um, But that doesn't address the structural issues which have led to this crisis in the first place. And increasing wages only actually attracts those who are licensed. There's a need to bring new people in to the uh, role but you've got to work through that process. And I think it's 50% of those who actually go through the qualification process don't pass. And then there are lots of people who decide that they don't want to do it anyway when they've done the training. So none of it happens quickly. Um, but none of this is new either. You know, we've been facing into these issues for a number of months and years. They've just become more um, noticeable now as demand has increased post-COVID. So it's not just about the pay, it's about the skills and the qualifications and the need to um, get through the backlog of tests which were created uh, by COVID when tests effectively stopped and created a massive uh, bottleneck. And I think, you know, it's really difficult to recruit because none of those are being addressed in the short term. Uh, It just seems like a combination of loads of different factors, isn't it? So I guess, Andrew, what would you say is needed to attract the right people into driving and operational roles? I think we need to be clearer about the attractiveness of the driving role in the food service supply chain. I think, you know, driving roles tend to get quite a bad rap on the news. They talk about, you know, being away from home all the time people having to you know, wee into a bottle, being mm. kept at distribution centres for four hours. You know, it doesn't make it sound like an attractive uh, job. But you know, for a wholesale food service business, you know, all of our roles are sort of Monday to Friday. You're at home every night. You're distributing to hospitality businesses who will you know, unload you as soon as you get there. You know, you'll get cup of coffee, you'll get a bacon butter, you might get lunch, you know, you're interacting with, uh, with service-orientated people. You know, it's a much you know, better 
job than is depicted sometimes in the press. Uh, so I think yeah, there's an important job that we have to do in terms of raising the profile of that of that role and the attractiveness of that role. I don't think we have an issue attracting people. We, we have the issue of getting them passed and qualified. We've, we've got 50 people who've been waiting three months for a, for a test date. Um, we have our warehouse to wheels scheme where we train our own people up from from warehouse roles through into driver roles, but you can only do that as quickly as you can get them to uh, have the test and get them qualified. I think, you know, there are things that could be done short term. I think, you know, if, if we're looking to attract recently retired drivers back into the industry, then maybe we need to look at whether the obligation to still have your driver CPC up to date could be waived. Driver CPC is not a technical driving skills qualification it's sort of ancillary skills um, but it's another 35 hours worth of training that people need to do to have the driving role so maybe there's something that could be waived there to attract recently retired people back into the industry but fundamentally I think the government needs to you know issue you know a substantial number of visas for a significant period of time to actually enable us or enable the industry to get people into the UK. So, you know, 5,000 visas for a six month period is a waste of time. You know, it needs to be 100,000 visas for a two year period, which will allow us to, you know, make a compelling offer to people to uproot themselves and possibly their families to come over and work here for, for two years, because they'll see it as a worthwhile option. Um, and it will be a number that's sufficient to actually make a dent in the crisis that we currently have. That's a really good point there, really. And obviously, Andrew, you've spoken there a bit about the government measures that have recently been released to alleviate the situation. But James, how effective do you feel these will be? Well, it's taken some months for the government to actually admit that there is a problem. Um, so we, along with the other trade associations and businesses, went to a meeting with the Transport Minister, Baroness Fear, back in May, June uh, this year and told her about the challenges that we were having after the reopening of the economy in May with drivers and she said well we've heard all this before it sounds to me like you're crying wolf um, since then they've introduced the visas that uh, Andrew mentioned they've introduced an extension of drivers hours and they've utilized the army to deliver fuel a couple of weeks ago when there was a fuel crisis so it's not so much crying wolf there's a genuine shortage of labor which they've acknowledged through some of the policy interventions that they put in place. Are they enough? No, I don't think they are enough. Um, and, you know, we can go into the reasons as to why there's the shortage. It's obviously the ageing driver population and all of the structural challenges that need to be addressed in terms of making the job more attractive. But ultimately, whilst that's happening, we need to, as Andrew says, have visas for people to come here and uh, do the job maybe for you know 12 months 24 months while we try and fix those structural challenges i mean there's no immediate obvious solution beyond that really there's also it's made slightly more difficult by the weak pound um so previously the uk were almost practicing sort of currency arbitrage so people could come over from poland pound was much better than the zloty they could send money home falling the pound meant that people had a pay cut and then when they left uh, because of COVID, because of uh, Brexit, which meant they had no longer had the right to remain here, they didn't want to come back. And that those challenges still exist. So 
even having the visas in place, then getting people to come over is not easy to do. So it's very much a challenge that there's no obvious solution to really. And the visas is something that we've talked about and Andrew's talked about and others. Do people still want even want to come here if they're able to? Lots of the people who've gone back to the EU have settled status. They could come back here. There's also a shortage of drivers on the continent. So if you're based in Poland or Romania, you'd have to drive through a lot of countries to get to the UK, all of which you could get a job as a driver. So it's not an easy easy thing to see a, a, a solution to, really. Um, I mean, in the meantime, the, the problems are, are, are stacking up. So having the backlog of tests um, work through as quickly as possible, making it easier for people to be onboarded, those are the things that need to happen alongside the opportunity to bring people over from uh, from the EU and elsewhere in the world, of course, South America, other parts of the world, there are opportunities to bring people in and businesses need to be able to do both really. And some of that is in the government's gift. They haven't done everything they need to do or could do to date, but at least they've acknowledged there's a problem. They've come a long way from saying that the industry is crying wolf six months ago to now bringing in the army um, and offering visas when they said there was absolutely no opportunity for visas. So we're making progress, but perhaps not as quickly as we would like. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of touched upon it a little bit there, but I know with the benefit of hindsight, we're saying this now, but what could have been done to prevent the situation getting to the place it's in now? I think a lot of the challenges were masked by COVID because the economy shut down um, and the impacts of EU exit were not fully felt because lots of uh, haulage was not needed because goods were not being moved around. So should this have been addressed uh, earlier? Absolutely. What could have happened? You could have made it a place where people wanted to work, improve conditions, improve pay. Unfortunately, uh, the ability to be able to import cheap labour in from the EU via freedom of movement meant that there wasn't a need to do any of that. And we've known since June 2016 that we're going to be leaving the EU, which would mean an end of uh, free movement. So at that point, industry and government should have been thinking about the fact that they're going to lose you know, hundreds of thousands of workers across the economy and uh, you know, drivers as well, thinking about how we address that shortfall of labour. We didn't do that. We didn't do that to any meaningful extent. And that's now meant that we're facing into this situation. So all of the things which are going to happen going forward, improving pay, improving conditions, making an attractive place to work, what have happened too late, really. I think we should have realised that we were going to be looking into this situation and thought about it sooner. The average age of a driver of an HGV in the UK is 55. Um, Very, very few people, younger people coming through. That's been a ticking time bomb, which has been ignored and perhaps masked by the uh, ability to bring cheap labour over from um, the European Union. We knew that that was going to go away. We should have faced into it earlier, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I guess now looking forward, what further action from the government do you think that it will need to, to solve the problem? Well, lots of it is beginning to happen. So apprenticeships and encouraging younger people into the industry making easier for people to get the qualification, working through the backlog of tests, introducing temporary visas, extending driver's hours. So they're doing all of the things that industry have asked them to do. Um, The best thing I think they could do in terms of meeting the shortfall in the immediate term would be to uh, have more visas available for a longer period of time. Do I think they're going to do that? 
I think they'll have no choice because people leaving at the end of February via the uh, 4,700 visa scheme that they've introduced, the problems won't be addressed by then. So I think the fact that they've already started to do that and they've done something that they said they wouldn't do, they've opened the, let's say they've opened the floodgates, but they've opened the door to, uh, to offering more visas, which I think they'll have no choice but to do. And remember that Brexit didn't mean that there was no immigration. It just meant that we could control immigration on the basis of need. We do need uh, Labour to come over from other countries to meet the challenges that we face at the moment. I'm not saying that's forever, but at the moment we do need to be able to control immigration in that way. And I think the government are slowly waking up to that reality. They don't want to have a second Christmas cancelled that's why they've uh, brought 5,000 meat processors and poultry workers over to the UK to save the great British Christmas lunch. Uh, they do that because they don't want to be seen to have had a negative impact on people's ability to enjoy the festive season. That's only one very small example. It's only one day of the year. All of those issues will still be there after December 25th. So I think there will be some more movement from government and we would absolutely welcome that. Um, and when do you think that we'll see light at the end of the tunnel? Is it going to be next year, do you think? Andrew, do you want to go first? Well, that's the critical question, isn't it? And uh, without wanting to sit on the fence, I'd go, it depends. I, I think you know, if, if the government actually listens to the industry, listens to the experts and takes more decisive action, then we could resolve this situation next year, absolutely. If the government decides to just carry on sticking their head in the sand and pretending that there isn't an issue, then we're going to be struggling throughout next year as well, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And James, what's your thoughts? Well, I think there's a really interesting and telling point here. Um, Dave Lewis, the former boss of Tesco, has been brought in by the government as their supply chain czar to look at the challenges that we're all facing in this space. His number one priority is looking at the time between now and Christmas, but he's also looking ahead to 2025. So, you know, on that basis, will things get back to normal, whatever normal is before then? Possibly not. So, you know, when are we going to see an end to this? I think unless things happen, as Andrew says, it's going to be, two to three years before we get back to where we were in 2018, 2019. Uh, and just before we end the episode, is there a sort of gleaming positive uh, thing to look forward to in the future that we can we can look out for? James, you want to go first? What, what you've got to remember is that the supply chain is extremely resilient and it has worked seamlessly for many, many years. And we've always found solutions to any of the challenges that we face. This is no different. And, you know, we're going to continue to do that and do that great job of serving customers. So it's a, it's a brilliant supply chain. All points in it work together in tandem. And by working together and in partnership, that we will find that the offer will be as strong and as good as it's ever been. Absolutely. That's great. And Andrew, is, is there anything else you'd add to that? I would concur with James. You know, I, I've said it's the most challenging situation I've dealt with, but, you know, the wholesale industry per se has been through world wars and great depressions and everything else and come out the other side. So I think the benefits and the positives are we're having a lot more constructive conversations with suppliers and customers. I think everybody has a far greater understanding of the interconnectivity of the supply chain and the vital role the supply chain 
plays in in serving the customer. So I think those conversations will lead to you know more positive discussions and more positive change you know within the supply chain. But as James says, we're very resilient. You know, our teams have been amazing getting through the last 18 months. They're going to be amazing getting through the next 18 months. And we're looking forward to the future that lies ahead. That's really interesting. So I think I'll wrap things up there. But before we do, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And James, thank you so much for joining the podcast again. No problem. There was so much to digest there from my chat with Andrew and James. Something that is really clear to see is that there are so many forces impacting things at the moment, and it will take some time to settle back down. As a customer of BidFood, we're regularly keeping in contact with you to keep you in the loop with everything as it constantly changes. We're also working on a number of projects, such as our BidFood Kitchen live cooking webinars taking place on the 11th of November and our soon-to-launch Unlock Your Menu campaign both of which are looking at how to overcome challenges our customers are facing and looking at solutions to help you with unlocking the full potential of your menu. For more, go to bidfood.co.uk where you can find all of our support tools available to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do rate and follow the podcast on whatever platform that you listen to them on. Next in our series, we'll be discussing Christmas. Like the subject of this episode, it's an equally tricky subject, so it should be a really interesting one. But until next time, goodbye.